0: I'm Melanie Ho, author of Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against. It's a different kind of business book, based in research, but told as a novel and designed to spark discussion and change about gender equity in the workplace. Thank you for joining this discussion, as my co-host, Carla Hickman, and I talk about the challenges that women continue to face at work that are too often only discussed behind closed doors.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Carla Hickman and Melanie Ho for the seventh episode of Beyond Leaning In, the podcast. If you've been joining us for all of our episodes so far, you know that we have listened to excerpts from the novel. We've been joined by many of the early readers and early listeners. We've talked about key concepts from Melanie's book and the discussion and action that it has provoked. And today, we're going to pull up. We're going to lift up and talk about five of the most important concepts that you want readers and listeners of Beyond Leaning In to take away. How this novel and the concepts within it are contributing to this broader dialogue about gender, about equity in the workplace, and what's unique. I always have appreciated that your early readers and early listeners, you had a very diverse group intentionally, and that included folks who've dedicated their careers to these topics, HR business partners, talent leaders. You've had scholars and psychologists and folks who've studied organizational behavior and women and men. at different industries and different points in their career. Lots of folks, everybody. Lots of folks and lots of perspectives. And that included people who would never pick up a gender equity book and had never really read or entertained these concepts before. So what I love about the novel is that it gave people from all of those different perspectives a way to engage in these really complex and often emotionally charged topics. But it also introduced some new concepts. It added something to that broader conversation that we all should be having. So Melanie, share with us of all of the research that you conducted, the concepts that are in the book, the conversations that you had with readers and listeners, what are the ones that you most hope people not only talk about, but actually start using in their day-to-day lives? Yes. So the top five that you and I have discussed keep coming up in
0: conversations with early readers are first, the idea of the mental autocomplete which is a different way of thinking about unconscious bias. And we actually go deep into in episode two. Second, points versus assists, which is a way of thinking about more inclusive meeting culture and how men are socialized to participate in meetings and group discussions versus how women are often socialized to do so. we talk about that deeply in episode three. Third, which we talked about a lot in episode six, is the way that the book talks about generational differences. Fourth, this one is a little bit meta, but often readers will say that initially they were a little bit curious, why is this a business book written as a novel? Some folks approach it with skepticism. But by the end of the reading experience have said to me, oh, they get it now. They understand why showing the interiority of different characters is important and why even if they didn't think they wanted to read a book based in research but told as a novel, it really helped them understand their experience and empathize with others. And then fifth, and this is when you and I have talked a lot about running theme throughout the book, is organizational impatience. Whenever I'm asked if there's one takeaway that I want everyone to have, it is the challenge of what I call in the book organizational impatience, that that is the root of why we often run up against challenges when it comes to making more progress for gender equity, but also
1: for DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives more broadly. So, if you're interested in learning more about all five of these concepts and all of the concepts that are explored in Beyond Leaning In, of course, we encourage you to go to Melanie's website, BeyondLeaningIn.com. Once there, sign up for the email newsletters. It's a great way to learn about the new things that Melanie is writing about, workshops and activities, and just a way to stay engaged. And of course, as we've said on all of our episodes, we love to hear from you. So, as our readers and listeners, we want to know how is the novel? Uh, what are the concepts that stood out to you? And how How are you integrating those concepts into your day-to-day life? So Melanie, let's start with mental autocompletes, which I have always appreciated. You helped me to appreciate how bias can be a very difficult word and concept for people. And so we've all gone to our fair share of unconscious bias trainings, but we tend to have a bias against bias trainings. How is mental autocompletes different?
0: I first got the idea of using the phrase mental autocomplete to talk about unconscious bias a few years ago when the iPhone rolled out the autocomplete emoji, right? So when you type in happy and the little happy face comes up. And I noticed that when I typed in CEO or doctor, all you got were male emoji options. There were no female emoji options. And it was interesting. It, obviously, the autocomplete doesn't mean to be biased, right? It, it was a fault of its programming. And it made me realize how often that's true for us in real life, that if someone thinks CEO and automatically thinks of a, a male person, it's not because they mean to be biased. It's because all of the programming throughout their life, since childhood, what they're seeing in children's books, what they're watching in TV, conversations around them, conversations they're still hearing around them are just reinforcing that. And so their brain makes a jump. I also thought about it a lot whenever, that we talk a lot about this in episode two, but whenever I was at a restaurant. And if I was dining with a, often a male employee and I could be the person that asked for the check that when the check was then brought to my male colleague, I could take, physically take in front of the waiter, could take the bill from him, put down my credit card, which has my name on it, a woman's name, be the person that gives the bill to the waiter and still undoubtedly I don't know how many times, the majority of the time by a lot, even with all of those signals, the waiter would then bring the check back to my male colleague. And I found it fascinating because I've just noted so many signals by which that doesn't make sense. But the wiring, in this case, the server's wiring that it is a man who should pay the bill has overpowered all of the evidence to the contrary. And to me, that is the power of the mental autocomplete. And that is the power of unconscious biases, that even in the face of all the evidence that a bias is not correct, it will still often happen because we have all of this programming and that it's a lot harder to reprogram a human, especially when we're continually being programmed every day by new messages around us and by the media and by what folks are saying when they talk about other people at
1: work. That's a lot harder than reprogramming a phone. Well, and we're all subject to mental autocomplete. And so it's another reminder, this isn't about feeling guilty necessarily, but it's starting to recognize those patterns of behavior. It's appreciating and thinking the people in your life who call your attention to those moments when the mental autocomplete has a negative impact, when the impact of your action is not matched to your intent, and that it is that sort of socialization and wiring. And so we have to be on the lookout. When we talk about socialization, that's a nice setup actually for the second concept, which is points versus assists, which was an opportunity to think about male allies. Not again that this is uh, singular to men, but a great opportunity for men in our lives and in our workplaces to support women.
0: Well, as Carla and many of my colleagues over the years have often made fun of me because I misuse sports metaphors all the time. I hear people use sports metaphors in a workplace context frequently, and then I end up misusing them. But this is when I, I believe I did not misuse, and one that I've thought a lot about, which is in basketball, which I'll say is the one sport I kind of understand. In basketball, there is the concept of the points where an individual is rewarded for their own contribution that's on the scoreboard versus the assist, where we're looking at somebody who has helped somebody else with their contribution. And one of the major concepts in Beyond Leaning In is that men are often socialized to think in points. And that women are often socialized to think about assists, to amplify each other's voices, to support one another in a conversation. That doesn't necessarily mean agreeing with everything that your colleague says, but actually wanting to find a way to bring their voice into the conversation. And Of course... These are generalizations, but they're ones that both in the research and as I talk to hundreds of women across industries, I kept hearing when it came to meeting culture, that there was a concern by women that whenever we were told to lean in, what we were told was you need to interrupt more. You need to make sure that you are the loudest voice in the room. And there was this, well, sure, yes, there are many cases where employees, whether men or women, need to be able to voice their perspectives more often than they are, but we aren't often enough looking at the opposite, which is that if men are socialized to speak up more and highlight their own voice and women are socialized more to listen and amplify others, how are we making sure that men are realizing that they need to do the thing that they weren't as socialized to do, which is to often listen more in a meeting and think about how to support others?
1: I also found interesting in episode three that points versus assist often presents as a male female dynamic. But actually, younger generations, whether they be millennials or Gen Z, they are starting to show across genders a preference for these ways of thinking and working and relating to each other. So, points versus assist has sort of historically had that male female gender breakdown. But for all uh, generations, there's a recognition that the generations that are entering the workplace today are going to expect a different way of working.
0: We've talked a lot on this podcast about how one of my goals with Beyond Leading In was to include male allies in the conversation. And I think that talking to male millennial allies has been especially interesting because many of them talk about how they remember being socialized to think about points versus assists. And yet they have also been socialized and grown up in an ethos where millennials value things like authenticity and leadership and leaders who create community uh, among their teams. And so I think there's this interesting Venn diagram of what millennials across genders, both men and women value, and then what women across generations have historically valued. And that's where I see a lot of the hope when it comes to feeling like the concepts in Beyond Leaning In are things we'll be able to act upon and create positive change. It is because we have these rising generations of both men and women and women across generations working together to
1: voice the same values and the same ways that we need to see workplaces shift. You know, we talked about the mental autocomplete and Points versus Assess, but this actually takes us into the third major teaching point or concept from the book, which is generational differences. From the very outset, Beyond Leaning In was intended to explore how the issue of gender equity has differed depending on your generation. We talk about this in pretty good detail in the last episode, episode six, but even that conversation only sort of scratches the surface. There are so many generational dynamics, and I've really enjoyed conversations with other readers here. For me, appreciating the perspective of Gen Xers and boomers in the workplace, really understanding the sacrifices that they made or the decisions that they made in order to shatter glass ceilings to make it into the C-suite. I think the character of Deborah, who is the CEO of the fictional company, does a wonderful job of helping millennials and Gen Z women appreciate the perspectives and sacrifices of many boomer women. The other thing I also really appreciate about the different generational perspectives is just Understanding that just because we are all women does not mean that we all have the same experiences in the workplace. It doesn't mean that we all have the same perspectives or opinions on these issues. And that is a conversation that we likely need to be having as well. How do we, as women, support one another, amplify one another, but also acknowledge that we all have different strengths, gifts, and perspectives? And that that's one of the reasons that workplaces are as strong as they are. Well, I think
0: that's a nice transition to our fourth takeaway. And for podcast listeners out there who I always wonder when I'm listening to podcasts, if the host plans what they were going to say in advance or not. And Carla and I do a little bit of an outline and then see where that takes us. And as we were outlining yesterday, I had realized that we've been asking all our guests for one thing they'll do differently after Beyond Leaning In, but I realized I hadn't asked Carla. And so for number four, we'll talk about some of the benefits of a novel for teaching some of the lessons in Beyond Leaning In.
1: Well, and for me, the answer to the question, one of the things I've been trying to do is just take that extra moment in interactions, both in my personal and professional life. And the question, this is probably a little embarrassing to admit, but I've been asking myself sort of, what is the conversation that person is having in their head right now? right? So what is the perspective that I'm missing? Why might they be reacting the way that they are and trying to not make so many assumptions in my day-to-day about what the other person is thinking or feeling? and learning just to ask, right? So I really appreciated our conversation around mental chatter, which is that conversation, that sort of interior monologue that is always running in our heads and how that connects to the power of a novel to allow us to see the world through the perspectives of people who are like us, but also who are very unlike us. And so probably my attention span has really shortened in pandemic times, but I've actually gotten back to reading novels as a way of helping me to expand my view on the world. So Melanie, we've been talking about sort of my takeaway, what I'm going to do differently, what I'm committing to. We talked about your vision for Beyond Leaning In from the very beginning of this podcast. But what were some of the, or I guess the most important takeaway that you realized as you were writing the book? Well, for our
0: fifth takeaway, if I could summarize it in two words, it would be organizational impatience. And it's something that really occurred to me more through my writing process. If you take a creative writing class, the first thing that people tell you is that you need to put your characters in as many conflicts as possible and put them in situations that are hard to get out of. And so I did that. And again, I won't give spoilers, but there's a lot of conflicts and there are a lot of challenging situations, both for folks interpersonally, as well as the business, the fictional company is in trouble. And so as I started to get to the end of the book, realized, well, how do I get them out of this? And how do I get them out of this in a realistic way? And so that led me to think more about, well, why are these characters having these challenges? If I'm a very skeptical reader, what would I have to believe that they were able to overcome in order to reach some kind of resolution at the end? And I won't give away the ending. I don't believe in, you know, a book like this can end in a happy fairy tale. But still I wanted the characters to have some sort of resolution and I need to figure out what was getting in their way and realize that what was getting in their way in so many examples was what I'll call organizational impatience. And that's the impulse that organizations have to always look for the quick wins, to find the solutions that they can get through as quickly as possible. And that's because everybody is so busy that they're trying to get through the checklist. And in trying to get through the checklist on issues that I hope by the end of Beyond Leaning In, we've talked about are incredibly complex and systemic. Any quick win solution is just gonna be whack One of the main events in the book, and I don't think this is giving uh, any way any spoilers, but there are some characters who make a bad hire and they make a bad hire because it's a quicker thing to do. They need somebody to be in seat for a vacant position. And if they don't get somebody in seat for that vacant position right away, it's going to have a whole bunch of ripple effects on the organization. So what they really should do is wait, but they don't think they can wait because they think that they can make a decision immediately. And I think that is a classic example of organizational impatience. It would take more time to get to a better solution. It would take more creativity and imagination to get to the better solution. But there is a just deep belief that the hiring managers have that they can't afford to wait and end up slowing down the organization in the end.
1: Well, it's interesting to why, right? Where is that pressure coming from? And so some of that is coming from the fact that this fictional company has a board that's demanding action. It's because they have shareholders and they need to turn the business around and show revenue growth quickly. But I often think about how it's, for a leader, it's often also the staff who are looking to you to be decisive. And it is very difficult and humbling to admit when you don't immediately have an answer. It takes a lot more vulnerability and confidence as a leader to admit when the organization needs to slow down or when you need to study a problem more thoroughly or when it's going to be tough for everyone because we're all going to have to sort of take up the slack in the meantime while we're trying to find the more sustainable solution. And so I think that all of those pressures, it's really a lot easier to understand them through the novel when you can think through the perspectives of the various characters. I love that you
0: said that because I think that one of the biggest fears that everyone has in every organization and maybe just in life is uncertainty. And that can lead leaders to an impulse to make decisions as fast as they can to stamp out that uncertainty because they'll feel better once the decision has been made. It's it's not going to keep them up at night anymore, made the decision already. And they can hope that their staff will feel better that a decision has been made rather than sometimes the uncertainty actually needs to go a little bit longer.
1: Well, we've all lived through that this past year. We saw incredibly senior people who were suddenly down deep in the weeds of operational issues uh, because there was imperfect information, imperfect data, loads of uncertainty. And so you just wanted to be able to give people assuredness and That's really difficult to do, but I think those organizations that stepped back and said, actually, this decision is better located further down the org, or my time is better spent on the long-term vision and strategy of what's going to happen three to five years from now, not on what's going to happen three to five days from now. And those are really tough lessons for people to learn. If it is not obvious by now, Melanie and I have spent a good part of our career, both of us, as consultants. And so I feel the need to summarize those five issues. I suppose we're breaking the consulting book a little because we have five takeaways instead of the famous three. But let's summarize the, the five top. So number one, up at the top, the mental autocomplete. The second was points versus assist. Our third was the differences in perspectives across generation. Fourth is the power of a novel as a form to understand the interiority and perspectives of those around us. And then finally, organizational impatience and how that can prevent the longer-term change that we're striving for.
0: Well, we were good consultants in having an odd number. There you go. Because you're not allowed to have an even number. It can be three or five or seven. It can be an even
1: number if it's 10. That's right. And I guess after that, you can't have good takeaways without me asking the classic question, how can we help? What can we as readers and members of the Beyond Leaning In community do to help us apply these concepts and get the word out?
0: You know, one thing that people don't often realize until they read the Dear Reader letter that I have at the end of the book, if they get to the Dear Reader letter, I know a lot of people stop reading when the, when the character story ends. But I chose to independently publish Beyond Leaning In, and I did that for a few reasons. One was just getting it out into the world more quickly. I felt like the conversation about these topics had to happen now and not on the timeline of the very often slow traditional publishing industry. But second, because traditional publishing often doesn't make space for non-traditional approaches. And so I wanted to have the freedom to pursue this more creative approach. That also means, I'll be honest, I don't have the resources of a big firm with publicity and marketing budgets and experts and, and really reliant on word of mouth. So definitely asking folks if you want to bring this to your book club, please do so. And invite me to join. I'd love to do that. If you have ideas of how to bring this to your organization or workplace or want to know how I'm working with workplaces, please do so. And please share on social media. I have a street team section on my website that gives some suggestions on graphics to use and hashtags to use and all that fun stuff.
1: Well, in our next episode, we're going to go even deeper on some of the next steps that you have for Beyond Leaning in, and for the broader work, thinking about working with organizations, but also strategic imagination, which is your company and your mission, and the role of the imaginative arts in helping us all in our personal lives and in our professional work, tackle these complex issues and change. So we're excited to share that conversation with all of you. Next week will actually be the final episode of season one. So please join us for that. And as always, thank you so much for your active engagement, for your comments, and for listening, rating, and sharing.
0: Thank you all for listening. I'm Mel Nuho, author of Beyond Leaning In. Please buy the book on Amazon or through www.beyondleaningin.com, where you can contact us and also learn more about the broader Beyond Leaning In conversation and community. This podcast is produced by Katie Sunku Wood at Studio Pod Media. Edits were made by Nodalab. Music is by Mountain House. Please subscribe, rate, share, and get in touch with your ideas.